0: Welcome to another episode of Ensure and Certain Hope, a podcast about Jesus, faith, the church, and other things. I am your host, the rector of the Church of the Redeemer, Jedediah Fox. I'm very glad you're with us for this episode. In this episode, I am going to talk about something that is very near and dear to my heart. The Eucharist. And why it's so essential for us Christians. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Let's get started. Almost the first words that the prayer book offers to us outside of the um, table of contents and uh, an explanation of why the first book prayer book was created in the Episcopal church is a commentary on concerning the service of the church. And the first thing that this section says is the Holy Eucharist The principal act of Christian worship on the Lord's Day and other major feasts. And daily morning and evening prayer, as set forth in this book, are the regular services appointed for public worship in the church. When those words were printed for the first official prayer book in and around 1979, they were absolutely earth-shattering because up until that time, the main service of the church was not Eucharist. It was morning or evening prayer, mostly morning prayer. Most churches did morning prayer. But... In the 20th century, you have this amazing reversal that's based on a whole bunch of scholarship that's done beginning in the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century called the liturgical movement that reanimates the importance of the Eucharist. Something that we maybe should have known from the beginning, that the Eucharist is the principal service of the church not morning prayer. And I say maybe we should have known it from the beginning because from pretty early on, things that we do in the Eucharist are already set, are already set into motion. For example, the earliest writings we have about the Eucharist are in the Bible. They come from the Apostle Paul in the 11th chapter of the first, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, beginning at verse 23, he writes, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, that should sound just slightly familiar. Yeah, because we say that verbatim every Sunday we have Eucharist. And what this scholarship that started that uh, evolved through the 20th century showed was that the Eucharist as we had it from from of old through the Middle Ages had not changed all that much and was absolutely essential to the earliest Christians in their public communal worship. So remember, the church starts out not in big old buildings with hundreds and hundreds of people. The the church starts in houses And, and Eucharist starts as a commemoration around a meal. Jesus' followers in the days, weeks, months, and years after his resurrection met together to eat. Because what else do you do? And and when they did so, they also remembered what Jesus had done at his last meal among them. And they commemorated his death life and death and resurrection in the way that he told them to by the taking of bread and of wine at the end of the meal and its consecration, which was very familiar to many of Jesus followers who had come from a Jewish background because it was very similar to Sabbath Jewish practice, but they did it on Sunday instead of on Saturday. And then in the fourth century, as the church Grows exponentially after it, the end of its persecutions, and it no longer has to hide in catacombs and houses and barns. The worship becomes more formalized, and it's just not feasible to feed that many people. And so, the the agape meal, as as we call it today, is uh, deleted from the beginning of the service, and we we have simply. The um, the ritualized service of bread and wine that we pretty much as we know it today, uh, more or less. And it evolves over time and it evolves in many different ways in many different places. And until the ninth century, it's sort of like let a thousand flowers bloom. You know, there are a thousand churches and a thousand and one ways to do the Eucharist. Uh, But in essentials, it is the same. And then there are some, shall we say, human foibles about who's right and who's wrong in the way that they say the Eucharist, they get introduced. And it's in this time in the ninth and 10th centuries that you begin to see the movement away from the reception of communion every Sunday, which culminates in the 16th century where you have to pass canon law that says you must receive communion at least once a year. And this happens both in Protestant churches and in the Roman Catholic church. In, in the Roman Catholic church, uh, in the, in the face of the reformation, this idea of the, they lean deeply into the Eucharist and you have the, uh, outgrowth of um, societies that are focused on the Eucharist, such as the sacred heart societies. And you have this, the idea of the adoration of the blessed sacrament as the adoration of the actual presence of Jesus in our midst in the Roman Catholic church. Whereas in the Protestant world, they sort of move away and they continue with this idea that you have Eucharist a few times a year and it's a symbol anyway. So, you know, it's fine. Let's focus on the preaching in the Episcopal church. It's always a push me, pull you like so many things in Anglicanism and the Anglican church, uh, because those who, uh, call for more Eucharist are, uh, painted as papists as those who would really rather us return to the, Roman church and those who push for too much Protestantism, uh, always seem to run afoul of the crown both before and after the, uh, the protectorate and, and the English civil war. And so it's not really until the 20th century and the latter half of the 20th century at that, that you have amongst in the Anglican Church and amongst Protestants, especially, this acknowledgement and rediscovery of the of liturgical matters of of the Eucharist as a daily routine, and and we continue to live into that reality today, um, figuring out what that means to have it on a weekly on a weekly basis, if not uh, more, if. And it makes sense. I mean, if you, if you think about what the Eucharist is and how the Eucharist works, it totally makes sense, because the Eucharist is eminently flexible. Think about it. It starts in houses amongst peer groups and friends in this very small and intimate setting. But it's also a sacrament and a liturgy and a worship type that can be expanded as far as you want. And you maintain, if you do it right— Participation by all people in all levels of liturgical work, both by the clerics in their various orders, but also, importantly, by the people. If you do the liturgy of the Eucharist properly, the people remain involved, regardless of whether you have five or 500 attending the worship service. And that's really remarkable. It's certainly not true of morning and evening prayer, for the most part. You participate in the Eucharist, whatever your station, in a way that is almost unique. And whether you, and and it can be done anywhere, as well as for any number of people. Uh, I have celebrated Eucharist in glorious cathedrals, in, uh, frankly, barns, uh, barns converted into... Uh, into churches seemingly and in the hallway of a hotel. And all of them were equally moving in different ways. And so the Eucharist is this essential piece of who we are. And it requires very little really from us. It requires uh, a person ordained to do it. It requires people. To participate with the cleric, with the priest, uh, the priest can't do can never do Eucharist alone. Uh, that's not allowed. Uh, it has because the 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 Eucharist is liturgy. It is the work of the people, and it has to be at least one other person there for it to be the work of the people. But it requires a cleric, another person, bread, and wine. That's it. It does not require those pieces of cardboard that we generally use here at the Church of the Redeemer. Uh, and we say is bread. It is bread. Um, flour and binder. And um, I'm sure there's water in it at one point, even if there's not any more. But that's about it. Uh, so it's bread if, if in the barest definition. Uh, but you can use any sort of bread, really. You know, there are people who get hung up on debates about whether uh, gluten-free bread is bread. It's bread. Uh, There are people who get hung up about whether or not it has to be leavened or not. Um, How close we're, we're holding on to the Passover mystery that uh, is echoed in our Eucharistic celebrations. But, you know, you can, you can have the finest artisan sourdough or you can have hamburger buns. You just have to be careful with the wisecracks. It, it doesn't matter, Bo- both are equally acceptable. And same with wine, you can have the most glorious port or you can have two buck chuck, wine is wine. It does have to, in the Episcopal Church, be wine, be alcohol, it can be very weak. It is certainly always watered down. Um, in the here at Redeemer, we use, uh, the Church of the Redeemer, we use port in part because as a fortified wine, it doesn't go bad as quickly. And so if we don't go through a bottle very quickly, which we don't usually, uh, that's okay uh, because the bottle will still be good because it is fortified wine with a high alcohol content. So it's really just down to practicalities. I mean, if we wanted, we could just go to two buck Chuck um, if we really wanted to. So the Eucharist is this gloriously flexible a uh, act of worship that can involve us no matter where we are, no matter who we are and how we gather and where we gather. All that is required is that we are prepared and we gather. And so it, any, every Eucharist, whether it is in a barn of a building or in a hotel hallway Whether it is high church or low church, whether it is um, super serious or whether it is uh, casual and relaxed and intimate, it has certain parts. There is a gathering. There is uh, a time of storytelling in the reading of scripture that is reminding ourselves as a story in which we are participating. There is a time of prayer. There is the canon of the Eucharistic self, the prayers of the, of, consecrate, of the consecration of the Eucharist. There is the reception of the Eucharist or the communion. And then there is the, the going away, uh, the ending of the service. Those are the parts of the service, that's it. Now we dress it up. On Sundays, right? We we have a lot of extra things we add on Sundays. But if you think about it, everything we do follows in that sh- in that general shape. We gather, we read, we pray, we eat, and we go. That's it. That's all. Everything we add, you know, whether it's the the Nicene Creed or the various collects, or adding three. Um, Three readings rather than just the one, or singing, or confessing. All of that is 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 an embellishment of it. And and in our in our rules for how we pray on Sundays, we say that you have to do some of those things, like like the saying of the Nicene Creed, uh, sort of to make sure we're on the same page. But really, the Eucharist doesn't require any of those, it requires us to gather to read the gospel. Um, the, story, the story of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus in some part to pray for ourselves and others, to uh, consecrate the elements, the bread and the wine, to consume them and then to go out to live that new life that we've witnessed in this celebration. Everything that we do in a Eucharistic service, whether it is in, in a hotel hallway or it is here at Redeemer or it is in an even bigger space, whatever we do, however, um, however formal or informal, however slow or fast, long or short the, the liturgy is, it's always about doing one certain thing. It's always towards pushing towards one goal. The the worship, the liturgy of the Eucharist pushes us toward participation in the kingdom. And the primary way it does that is in the sacrament of Holy Communion of the Eucharist. And that participation is a function of a $50 church word that we call anamnesis. And what what that means is a bending of time. When we celebrate the Eucharist, we believe. We are in touch with other times and places. We are in touch with that night at supper when Jesus and his disciples... took bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to his friends. When Jesus took wine, blessed it and gave it to his friends. And we are in that same moment. also in the midst of the wedding banquet of the lamb that we hear about in the book of revelation, that is we are beyond also touching the beyond time, the end goal to which we are striving and In the book of Revelation, that end time is described as a great feast, a gigantic dinner party, which is also a Eucharist. Um, And so... When we celebrate the Eucharist, we're also in touch with that time. It is also that time. It, we, 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 it, is, it is not just the time that we are at right now, here in this moment, but we are also at the Last Supper. We are also at the dinner party at the end of the world. And we are also in touch with every other time that the Eucharist has ever been celebrated. We are connected to all of them, and therefore we are connected to the, all the people who celebrate at that time. That's the reason that Eucharist is so essential on Sundays. Because Sunday is the, is the day of the resurrection. It is a mini Easter every week. And if that is not a cause for celebration, I don't know what is. And so in the commemoration, in the sacrament of the Eucharist on that altar on Sunday morning, we are celebrating not only with each other, whether we're in person or we're virtual, but with Jesus and the disciples in the Last Supper and with Jesus and the disciples and everybody else at the dinner party in in God's kingdom beyond time and with everyone else who has ever celebrated the communion. We are in touch with all of them at the same moment in this bending of time that we call anamnesis. And that bending of time animates everything that we do because it reminds, it should remind us, it should put us in touch at the deepest core of our being with the reality that God's kingdom from that supper in an upper room in Jerusalem in the first century on a Thursday night all the way through, through every time that Eucharist was celebrated after that, all the way through, through the time that we're in now, all the way through to the end of time, to God's fulfilled kingdom beyond time where there is neither sorrow nor death, but life everlasting. We are in this line and continuum. We are in this story. We are in this web of relationship that we call the body of Christ. And that should change the way we do everything. And after all, that is the point of liturgy, to change everything. That is the point of worship, to change everything. And that is why the Eucharist is the principal feast of the church on the Lord's day. That is Sunday and all other major commemorations and feasts because we need it to be so we need it to be that reminder of what is possible of what is Happening of what is breaking into the world in the midst of a world that we see every day that doesn't want to admit that something else is possible, that something better should be. And that is why the Eucharist is essential, so that we remember that something else not only is possible, but is coming into being. And we are called to participate in it at all times and in all places. And that is what the Eucharist should and must remind us. thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast insurance certain hope i hope that you've enjoyed it if you have not heard all of our podcasts you can go back and listen to the other ones that you've missed and please look for more coming out very very soon about other parts of our liturgy particularly the next episode which will be on the daily office of morning and evening prayer and until we're together again may god's blessing be with you christ's peace be with you the spirit's out pouring be with you. Amen.